Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Catholic Canuck Podcast. So glad that you joined us here on another beautiful day that the Lord has made. Welcome to all our listeners from across Canada or wherever you listen to this podcast across our fine and fantastic universal church. So glad that you joined us. Well, let's start off with a quote from one of our great saints. If you habitually meditate upon God, your whole soul will be filled with him. You will learn his expression and learn to frame your actions after his example. End quote from the great St. Francis de Sales. It's not always easy to take that time of silence, meditation, contemplation. That's where really that rocket feel to get into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. To not only talk, which we I know I do too much of when I'm in prayer. I'm always talking. I don't listen enough. And maybe that's the way it is for you too, even in just your everyday relationships. So we got to get our listening ears on, listen to hear what others have to say. And then when we're in prayer, listen to hear what God has to say to us. And uh, there's some great resources. The first and foremost is scripture, reading the gospels, the daily readings, and then just having a time of silent reflection. Also, Thomas A. Kempis, the, the great book, The Imitation of Christ, some real nice little uh, pieces of meditation in there that you can read and, uh, and then have some quiet time after to see what the Lord is saying to you and speaking to you in your heart. And those are so important that, uh, that we take that time, that silence in the mornings and throughout the day. Picking a time is so important. And I know in the mornings it's the best for me because I'm so tempted to look at my phone. I don't know if that's like that for you guys too. But whenever I get up in the morning, the first thing I think of is all these things coming at you throughout the day. Your worries, uh, you know, your thoughts, uh, maybe something you're even excited about. But again, it takes us away, kind of ropes us back into the world a little too quickly when we need to focus our, the first things in the morning, especially to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ and what Jesus has to say to us and set up our day that way. And that's setting it up the right way. You know, there's so many things going on in the world right now. It's, uh, my head is spinning. It seems like we have the year of surprises in 2022. Uh, a lot of it is positive news, uh, but there's a lot of strife and a lot of uh, uneasiness in the world. I'm sure you can feel it too. Any person of faith can feel it. And uh, we just need to continue to pray. Uh, You know, Twitter, I used to, a joke on a few of our episodes that uh, we're still on Twitter. We're not censored yet. Hopefully that won't happen. I think that the chances of being censored are going down uh, now with uh, Elon Musk uh, purchasing Twitter. We'll see where that goes. Um, Never put all your, your eggs in one basket and put your trust in the princes of the world. That's for sure. And uh, we should pray for Elon Musk and his conversion to Christianity and Catholicism, uh, that he can get to know Jesus Christ in a uh, a special and personal way, just like uh, we do. But, um, you know, there's always hope for optimism. And we know that there's a lot of censorship, canceling of free speech. And I think that it's important, too, that um, we recognize as Catholics and as people of goodwill that there are limits to free speech as well, certainly not in the sense of censoring the truth, because we are the church of the objective truth. There's nothing subjective about Catholicism and about the cross of Jesus Christ. We need to, first and foremost, we need to accept that and we need to preach and promote that. But uh, we also need to know that there is limitations to speech as well. You know, there is an example of uh, a group of, um, well, basically they're, they're satanic or Satan worshipers They were in a city in Arizona, I believe it was Phoenix or Scottsdale, and uh, they were going to a hotel and they were planning to consecrate the city to to the demonic world. How insane is that? 
So there are certain things, and they come and say, hey, well, it's freedom of speech. Well, yes, but there is the objective and the subjective, and then there's the plain demonic and evil, and we need to continue to speak out against that. We can't allow the forces of evil to just run rampant against us. So, again, there's uh, there's definitely limits. We have to be careful of how we say that we support free speech for all. There's still that good and there's still that evil. And for us, I think as Catholics, at least this is how I feel, is that we need to continue to promote the cross of Jesus Christ and a uh, relationship with Jesus. That's why it's so important to share our testimonies with people because you can't really argue with somebody's testimony, especially when it really means something to them. I know I've shared my testimony on various platforms and, uh, and even slowly but surely through this podcast as well. And, uh, you know, it's, it's something that's personal and it's something that a lot of people relate to. And that's why I'm always really glad when we have our guests come on and they're always so candid and so open and generous with their time and their stories, uh, particularly with how their relationship was with the church and with Jesus Christ and how they came to have that great relationship with him. And also some things that they're doing in their everyday lives. And uh, a great example of that is my old friend, Andy Chan, who joins us today. He's going to talk a little bit about uh, the very noble uh, job. It's a hobby of his, but he has a great passion for it. He's a, he's a beekeeper. He also works in the military as well. So uh, a guy that's really trying to uh, practice virtue in this world. And I think it's always an inspiration to me to see that, uh, again, people living in the world, but not being of the world. And uh, we all have an interesting story and an interesting testimony of what we do in our lives and how it brings us closer to Jesus Christ. So really excited to share this conversation with my friend Andy Chan. We'll see you on the other side, my friends. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever. Well, Andrew Chan is a lifelong Catholic. He's been serving at St. Joseph Basilica in Edmonton for over 25 years. Uh, he's also a member of the Royal Canadian Navy, and he's just recently picked up the fine art of beekeeping. So it's a real blessing to have my old friend, Andrew Chan, join us here on the Catholic Connect podcast. Welcome, Andy. Hi, thank you for letting me be on this podcast. So it's kind of cool. Never been on a podcast before. Well, that's awesome, and I'm so glad that we caught up. We're, we're talking offline about uh, uh, we've been friends or we've known each other for quite a long time. Yes. Uh, I'd say probably the first time we met was at a, a youth event of some sort at our basilica here in our archdiocese at St. Joseph's. Or we used to go to those um, those cheap Tuesday bowling nights at West Edmonton yep. Mall too, right? Yeah, yeah. so <laughs> so it was. Uh, it's great to catch up with you again, Andy. It really is. Yeah. Uh, that's what I've always loved about this podcast is it's uh, – it certainly um, brought me together with, with other people that I hadn't talked to for a long time or just brand new people. And I think that's the, the great thing about the, the Catholic Church and the journey that we're all on together. Sometimes it's nice to, uh, to reacquaint uh, with other people. So it's, it's great to, to chat with you. So why don't we start a little bit just at the beginning of your life and your childhood. You're, you're born and raised in Alberta for the most part. So how did the seeds of faith get planted in your life, Andy? Well, the seeds of faith uh, was planted to me when I was really young. My mom got me baptized when I was three. And basically, I just, you know, my mom um, uh, took me to church. My parents are divorced. So uh, my mom took me to church. And um, and that's about it. It's more or less it grew on me. The thing is, some people thought, like, I'm just doing it out of a habit. But I think, honestly, uh, when it comes to jesus and the and the church i think with jesus it keeps me sane like i think i think 
I think when it comes to uh, the Eucharist and the sacraments, it keeps me um, stable. There's a, I think a lot of people um, are not stable because they don't have the stabilizing uh, influence of God in their lives. So, um, and I, I feel that way. It's almost like with uh, Jesus being in the Eucharist, it, it helps you, um, stabilizes you. It keeps you calm, mm-hmm. my opinion, because I think that there's a lot of people that have, some people, they think religion is a bunch of garbage and it's a cult and they're trying to control your mind. But for me, um, when it comes to the Catholic church and the sacraments and being St. Michael, the, the archangel, I have an icon of him actually on my wall. Uh, yeah. Yeah, as he's because obviously Saint Michael is a patron saint of soldiers, sailors, and the military, right? And mm-hmm. police, and grocers, and the sick. So, I think I think uh, it keeps me sane and stable because I think I've I've seen people that are not as religious, and sometimes they just go off the deep end. Mm-hmm. And, and and basically, I I kept attending mass, and then um, how should I say? Keep attending mass, and then uh, eventually my mom persuaded me. Hey, do you want to be an altar server? And I, uh, okay, I'll see what it's like. So um, I attended. So I started an altar serving. I think in 1993, and I think I've been still doing it for uh, unbroken. I mean, I stopped going to Basilica because I had to attend University of Lethbridge. But then I came back and I think, I'm not sure if it's routine or is it just because the strength of serving the Lord um, propels me through and, you, you know, you, I just have to trust him that he's watching my back, right? Well, so, it's interesting you, you drew that to, you know, the, the parallel with the Eucharist. And we know that there's a lot of our fellow Catholics that sadly don't believe in the real presence of the Eucharist. So maybe let's go back to that because you probably received your first communion when you were quite young, right? Probably when you're eight or nine years old, I'm guessing. Pretty late. I mean, everything in my life is always late to the ball. Was so it? I, okay. I was, I think I was 14. Yeah, 14. So was that that realization that the Eucharist was not just a, a, a piece of bread that you go and eat, uh, you know, uh, flippantly or, or nonchalantly? Um, yeah. You're a little bit older when you received it, but when did you, when did that, that um, you know, the source and the summit of the Catholic life receiving the Eucharist, when did that kind of sink in with you? Was it when you were younger? Did it take you a, a little bit of time to a while but i think like sure and uh, you know we're following the commandments we know at the last supper no this is my body this is my blood i i don't know i try to not to be super serious about it but i just you know i just i think god always had my back i'm thinking like i um if i may segue because i remember what was it um i have to have i always believe that god has my back and so even though sometimes like hey you know like i'd wish you know, if God gives me a different destiny and I wish I got, God gives me this and that, but you know, he has plans for me. And uh, so to segue is I remember two years ago, I think January, 2020, I think it was just before the pandemic hit Canada. I was at an Oilers game. I think I was trying to tell some of my friends, which is crazy. So I, and it was a military appreciation night. Mm-hmm. Right. And then we were in uniform and then we were up there and then there is these older older girls i was talking to some guys and i thought it was not my business excuse me it's not my business but i decided to i had this i had this voice in my head um hey you know like go 
and um, go talk to these girls and just see what the conversation is, right? Mm -hmm. So I went up there and I discussed, hey, how are you doing? And then they were trying to recruit um, people to play games on the when the during the periods during oh, the. Okay. I've so, always wondered how they established who to bring down to those uh, games so in between periods. Like, we're like, no, I don't want to do this. It's like, sure, <laughs> I'll do it. So yeah. come game time. So what happens is we were selected for the Cal Tire Tire Toss. And okay. it's on my, um, actually, I posted on my Facebook account, like what happened. So basically, there's three sailors and one army lady. And we were in the, in the center ice. And what happens is there's a circle there. And then I was the last one. There's four of us. So one, two, three, four, right? And then on, and then, so what the game is, you, you, the, the, the higher is on the ice and then you're supposed to roll it. And then, and then you're supposed to roll it to the target. And then the closest to the center of the target wins the prize. Get a prize. Okay. Like free, free winter tires or something like that? Or what? Was it free winter tires? What was crazy is, uh, they, one was too far, one didn't make it, and one certainly did not make it in the circle. And then mine was actually almost, it was literally dead center, right? And then one of the other girls said, um, do you want Andrew, Mr. Chan? That is the closest I've seen anyone toss that, that tire. It's like, huh, that's so weird. You know, like, I don't know, was it the Holy Spirit? I don't know, I have no idea. So, yeah. And I, I don't know, and I think the God uh, helps me in my life. It's like, I remember I was joined when I was in ha Quebec City, but I don't know, 10 years ago, maybe eight years ago. Um, I was kind of, I was kind of flustered on, on how to write uh, this test. And I said, in my mind, Lord help me. And all of a sudden I had this voice in my head, like a guy's voice. Okay, have you checked this report? Have you checked this report? And have you checked this report? It's almost like someone's like guiding my head. Mm -hmm. I passed the test. So oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good, isn't it? And, and, and the Holy Spirit sometimes inspires us to just right when we need it, right? Not before, not yeah. after. It's just at the perfect timing, right? So, so you're talking about your experience in the military. So you belong to the Navy. Yes. Uh, you've been in there for quite a long time. So what inspired you to, to join uh, the Army and, and serve? And uh, what actually got you to go into the Navy? So go out on the open water, I guess, right? Yeah, it's it's weird. It's like actually way back in university, I was big into politics and stuff. And then all of a sudden this guy quipped, like he said, hey, if you join the military, actually, that's good for your like political career. And so it's like, hey, why not join the reserves? Right. And then it was weird. And also like the and then I seen some uh, uh, videos of Remembrance Day and then veterans being saluted and people in uniform saluting veterans. I was like, wow, that's a good display of patriotism and this and that. And it's just, um, and so I decided to join the Navy. Uh, no, not to join the Navy. I joined this, decided to join the reserves, but I didn't know what element I wanted to join. So at first I tried to join the communication squad. It's almost like, I think then was like a division of the army, but it's entire, um, purpose is just communications but it's not like uh, i don't know how should i say it's just a subdivision but they don't anyway so but the thing is i tried to join the that but the problem is that i was working for like a call center and the problem is that i had to i don't want to quit my job my civilian job and then do the military and then when you're in the military try to find a, a civilian job and what happens is a lot of reservists tend to 
leave the military because uh, the reserves don't pay, doesn't pay or doesn't hire um, all the time. So basically, if you worked part time, then you have to find money somewhere, right? And eventually they have to quit. There's a, there are military jobs, so you can find a military uh, a civilian job. So what happens is I eventually got a job uh, with the government. And uh, because of the government, it gives me stability. So when I deploy, I don't have to, when I come back, I don't have to worry about, will I still have a job? Because it right. happens often where I know, oh, they'll deploy for a month or two. And then when they come back, they have, you don't see them again because they're scrambling for a job. And then they're, the price they have to pay is quit the military, right? So I think yeah. the relationship has to be like that. I mean, uh, or else you're just not going to attract anybody to come and work for you, right? So, Supposing so there's legislation to protect uh, employees the problem is employees the problem is that you have to sue your boss to get your job back the problem is the the if you poison the relationship so bad like why do you want to come there to work right yeah so, yeah 100 percent. yeah no that's good what about the uh the navy particularly i mean there's not a lot of people from the prairies that are in the navy right i mean you think of maybe folks from the west coast or the maritimes uh, right a lot of people from the prairies do join the navy, especially in okay. management. I suspect okay. yeah. it's just because of when people see the flat prairies and farmland, it reminds of the seas. So then that's why. And also, um, also if you're in a landlocked area, you want to f- go and visit places. And the reason why I wanted to join the navy was simply because um, do when I do exercises, do I want to do dig, uh, dig trenches, or do I want to um, or do I, if I want to do exercises, be on the open water and do something, right? So, so it has it's been a correct choice where I go in in the seas, on the seas, sorry, and and travel, and because um, even with my uh, previous deployments for hunting drug traffickers and naval security team in Denmark, I, mean, I did uh, domestic sales, so up and down the coast of. Um, of BC, so basically from Victoria to Prince Rupert and back down again, and then uh, search and rescue zones, and also did rim pack. So for one summer, it's kind of cool. So I sailed from Victoria to San Diego, San Diego all the way back to Victoria to Prince Rupert and back. So it's like wow! In one summer, I get to see the entire uh, Western or Pacific coastline. So. Mm. That's amazing. I mean, it was uh, it was the right choice. Or I can spend months working on a military base and dig trenches and this and that. And it's just, yeah, so it's the right choice of doing the Navy. That's so good. So have you ever been in a deployment where you were part of uh, an active combat duty or? No, or I have mission. Okay. any anti, uh, any, any um, combat duty. I mean, uh, in my opinion, when it comes to uh, naval stuff, um, there has not been Navy uh, versus Navy combat in, since 1982 in the Falklands War between Argentina and the UK. Right. Uh, yeah. So, um, uh, if you want to be in active combat, be, join the, uh, join the army. Well, maybe explain that too, because, uh, in the air force, you know, you think of the, the big, um, these big carriers, these big ships that go out to sea, but they're part of the air force too, I guess. Right. Is that, would that be accurate or are they part of the Navy? You know, those uh, big, uh, um, the carriers. Are yeah. you talking about US, U.S. Navy? That's usually who I think of, right? Even though I'm Canadian. <laughs> yeah. uh, the U.S. Navy is set up differently. It's right. uh, the, the U.S. Navy. Uh, when you see the carriers, all the per- most important personnel are naval uh, personnel. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Yeah. 
Got it. Okay. Uh, Air no, Force, uh, it's different. It's um, they operate from bases, but they do not operate from carriers. Carriers, yeah. So and if you see jets flying off uh, the Navy off in carriers, they're naval uh, people. They're so not. maybe your your role or some of your experiences might be best described, especially to some of our American listeners. They have the Coast Guard, right? So some of the the things that you were doing, you mentioned some drug trafficking as well. Did you ever get a chance to to arrest anybody or? Yeah, I did work with the U.S. Coast Guard uh, for that deployment to hunt. Uh, we were off the coast of Guatemala and sometimes El Salvador and most and no. in Mexico. But, wow. So like some real banana republics then, right? There's yeah, we're, yeah we're banana republics. So um, when you think of being in the, in the Navy, in the military, what are some of the lessons that you, you've picked up? Some of the, the virtue, I guess, or... Um, maybe that you didn't have before when you were uh, in college and university. How did, how did it change you as an individual and as a, well, as a person? Yeah, that's a very good question. I'm very happy that you asked, uh, answered because I think I think my life was so different pre-Navy or pre-military to post-basic because um, when you're in the military, it gives you, for me, it gives me drive and discipline because mm-hmm. my boss, one of my previous bosses says like, I'm, like before the, I joined the army, <clears throat> so I joined the Navy, she noticed that I was not as secure and confident. But once I joined the armed forces, I became, actually, I gained 10 pounds. Then um, uh, people noticed my physical changes, like, wow, being a skinny kid too, like it's a little bit more uh, muscle to him. Sure. Couldn't see it, but all my friends saw it. So I guess so, because it was so gradual. I remember my friend uh, Tyrone, uh, when I came down the, uh, the escalator, he greeted me, but then he reached out and tried to squeeze my bicep. It's like, what happened, right? <laughs> so that's what happened. But anyway, so the virtues of joining the military is discipline, but also a sense of purpose that, you know, what, you're uh, a Canadian willing to serve their country in the body politic. Of, because a lot of people, I think, take their freedoms in Canada for granted. Hmm. Uh, for me, as a, as a decorated sol- a sailor of the Royal Canadian Navy, um, it gives me a little bit of a pride where, you know what, I'm one of those extra people, uh, those people that does an extra bit more for their country to build a better Canada. So um, so discipline is one thing, um, skill sets, uh, teamwork, uh, networking, um, also being proficient in firearms or weapons gives you a certain little edge because there's a lot of guys that try to think that when they watch James Bond or they play Halo or they play some video game, they think there's some elite. Yeah, a little, little bit different in the military, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a little different in the military. Yeah. So, right. some people are happy, you know, they, they're they good at, you know, hand-to-hand or swords or whatever. They're like, geez, you know, like I qualified with C7, C8, 6 hour 226. So someone's like, yeah, I, I have wheel firearms weapons experience a lot, so. a lot different than wielding a, a saber right the lightsaber around like in star wars <laughs> that's true <laughs> I, mean, you tell I have two katanas on my side right <laughs> yeah, that, you mean business when you start wielding those things right yeah you know you think of uh of the discipline and a lot of people even whether it comes to their their everyday life when they're there at work or even their spiritual lives a lot of people just don't have that uh that drive and that uh you know, get up and, and get at her. And whether that's uh, early in the morning or just any kind of discipline, even when it comes to food or anything like that. So did you find that that was uh, uh, beneficial to your everyday, everyday life when you're acting as a civilian and you've stepped away from the, your military duties? It, it really, I didn't think, I think I've been with the military for so long that it, it's almost fused 
together. I, yeah, I wear civilian clothes now, but usually I keep myself in shape. I swim, I rollerblade, I watch my diet. Um, a lot of people actually confuse my age by decades, <laughs> by a decade or so. So I made sure that, you know, I keep fit, but also um, I make sure I eat well and I make sure that, you know, I, an ounce of cure is better than a pound of cure because, you know, you don't want to stuff your face full of junk food and then, oh, you got to get yourself fit. So you got to shed them off like crazy. So, yeah. Well, especially when you got to get back into the, onto the boat or doing some other duties yeah. and you're, uh, yeah, you're a little out of shape. It's, uh, it's better to be coming in when you're in shape than out of shape, right? Just like yeah. hockey Just players used to be chain to... smokers and they'd come into training camp and try to <laughs> try to play their way into shape. That's not going to work as well in the military either, right? Um, so you've been doing the, the military thing for a long time, but you also picked up something I think is very noble. And growing up on the farm, always had a lot of respect for beekeepers. Yes. Um, and bees are such an important part of our, our world, really. I mean, you think of um, everything we have from our flowers to our food chain of supply. Uh, you know, the bees have such a, a huge part of that. So how did you get into into beekeeping? And yeah, what, what got you interested in doing uh, something like that? So when it comes to beekeeping, what happens is at my job, we, we take in clients with uh, their employment history. And what happened was that um, one day, this one lady says, she said, oh, this is this apiarist. And I was like, what's an apiarist and in my mind? Said, oh, you mean a beekeeper? She says, yeah, that's a beekeeper. And I asked, how much do, uh, does a beekeeper usually make? And I said, like, a good one will make $70,000. Oh, that's not too bad. And the thing is, like, I always was kind of like, I liked bees, but I never like thought about being a beekeeper too late. But then she did, I, I did ask about how much did it cost to start up? Uh, 1500 bucks. So I thought it's cheap. I can afford to to pay for um, to start up, just crunch $1,500 and then here you go and start off. And and what happened was that um, it's, it's pretty good uh, when it comes to starting up and learning. And the first two years was kind of difficult, but then what happens in my in my military job? I had a I have a friend, and what happened? Her her name's Amanda, and basically she found out that uh, no, I'm a beekeeper, and then she says no way because her dad was um, the um, one of the used to be one of the largest honey producers in the province. So I can't believe like what what are the chances like you know meeting someone at the military and whose dad happens to be the world. Provinces, one of the provinces' largest honey producers, right? So what happens is, so the dad took me under his wing, and his company is called the uh, the uh, uh, Honey Bear Apiaries, right? Uh, the Tamir. And I actually, the, that uh, Amanda and the mom and the dad, Julie and Barry, have a has they have a very special place in my heart because without them, I would not be the beekeeper that I would be. I mean, I probably like probably stumble along, but. You know, you get amateurs teaching even more amateurs or hobbyists. It's not going to be a good deal. But when you get like a serious professional like this man here, it's going to certainly boost it. So he taught me tips, what to do. And when I text him, say, I need, I need uh, like expert like medicine. So he tells me, hey, come over to my farm. I'll give you this. I'll give you that. So, yeah. So that's what happens. And also it's, um, 
it's a good thing where I also also why going to be beekeeping is because of business because I always wanted to be in business but the problem is I don't know what to make and I don't know what to sell and I don't want to open a kiosk or a, like a storefront at West Hampton West Mall because then you'd be like oh like my lord there's a huge store turnover you have to worry about merchandise and worry about all this and cost overruns and this and that but with beekeeping you can start small and can try to build but obviously this year has been a pretty bad year for beekeeping beekeeping and beekeepers because of massive losses i mean i lost 60 percent of my highs but it is what it is right but the thing is at least i know what i like to operate with the margins taking losses and also um how should i say um, make products and open storefronts, not storefronts, but I managed to get people to sell my honey, which is a learning experience, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, like, can I show my honey? So oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so this is my jar uh, and these awesome apiaries. So basically I got this, um, the label has a B in it. And then since I'm in the Navy, there's an anchor, right? So yes. Oh, so you got the the connection to the to the Navy. That's pretty cool. Well, don't yeah. worry. I'll, I'll share the picture on the the Facebook page uh, okay. for anywhere listeners and anybody that wants to reach out to you and yeah. that uh, lives in the Edmonton area. Yeah, uh, we'll we'll definitely get the, that information in their hands. So, do you sell kind of just privately to you know kind of word of mouth, or do you did you actually approach some stores? Yeah. So I sold it from my car and people from people I know in my building at my workplaces, but then. It, it's obviously when you make a lot of honey, like you made 300 jars. So eventually you're going to saturate the market. So what happens is I decided to um, uh, ask for people to sell. So I had this little girl who sells it for me and for, from her flower stand. Because what happens is she has four, um, four, uh, why four beehives at their place at the acreage. So basically oh, okay. the deal yeah. is okay. They'll they'll allow me to put bees in their place if they get rent, obviously. And then for a sweet has a also has a sweetener. That's kind of funny. Where uh, you know they get they get to sell honey for a profit as well. So she's kind of the action. I get most of the action as well when it comes to selling honey. And also I found out this woman who who has a kiosk in my building. She says that. Oh, okay. Um, I'll gladly. She initially bought them from me, but then she just said, "Hey, I want. How would they sell?" So she decided to sell them for me, and they sold out like hotcakes. So, so, so tell us about the the um, the hives themselves. So you you buy a hive. Is that what it is, Andy? And then how many bees are in the hive? And, well, it depends uh, on what time of year it is. I'm still in amateur. Okay. So basically, initially, I bought what you call nooks. It's spelled N-U-C. S. Okay. Right. You buy nooks. Then you buy. Um, uh, so nook is it's it's very small. It's like a uh, it's it's a wooden box with five frames, and and with a queen bee with some workers, and then you you do that, and then you let it. If you were to get nook now, um, within two like a week or two, you'll just have to expand it. So you have to transfer to a bigger box, and then. And a month later, then you put in a second second brood box. A brood box is like their living quarters, right? So what you okay. have to do is when it comes to beekeeping, you have to give them a living quarters so for the queen to lay her eggs, store honey and wax. And then I operate a double brood system. Barry operates a single brood system. Um, 
So basically, uh, there's advantages and disadvantages of each system. Obviously, there's a trade-off. So what happens is that when it comes to summertime, you put, um, how should I say, a, uh, a queen separator between uh, the honey super, which is your profit. So basically, because the reason why you need to put a queen separator because it's it's too big. It does the it's uh, the queen separator is small enough so a worker bee can go through the screen, but not for the queen bee because the queen bee is considerably like twenty percent bigger than your normal worker bee. Um, so what happens is that so it forces all the all the worker bees to start installing pollen and all that stuff. They just store it full of honey and nectar, right? Uh, but if you don't put the queen separate, the problem is then you will have the queen laying eggs everywhere. So you have to separate okay, this and that. So when you do commercial farming, uh, bee farming, it's very difficult. You don't have time to go through each frame, especially when you have hundreds and hundreds of hives, you don't have time to separate. But if you only have one or two hives, you don't need a queen separator. I have this one woman that I know she has. She doesn't go through a queen separator. Um, but then she goes through each comb and just take what she needs, right? But um, not for me, because if I have like 10, 20 highs, you know, I don't have time to go through each. Tell, tell us about the queen, Andy. How, how long does a queen usually live? A good queen would live to three to five years. The problem is her fertility wow. will go down. Right. So um, her fertility would probably end in the probably in a year four, year five, when she runs out of sperm and eggs in, in the, um, in the, in herself. So, right. Right. Okay. Uh, so then what, then what happens for you? So the, so the queen eventually dies. Yeah. The queen then, eventually then what happens either? I, I'm not there yet when it comes to that, because either do you, do you buy, you can buy queen bees from the bee store and just, okay. and just hopefully the hive will accept it if you time it right. Right. Uh, um, when it comes so that, that's probably tricky, the timing, right? If you're going to yeah. drop a new queen in, <laughs> yeah, you know, do, who knows how everybody else is going to accept her, right? <laughs> yeah, I heard one guy, he actually kills his queens and then put in a new one. Um, I'm not sure if okay. I would do that. But uh, uh, I'm, I still have to ask Barry about what to do with, because uh, I have three highs from him that are still kicking around, which is good. Yep. Um, Oh, that's fascinating. But, and you said, so you, you said you produced about 300 jars this year. How, sorry, how much were in those jars? I didn't get a chance to uh, really look at those. 380 milligrams. 380 milligrams. Okay. So, so how much, um, how much honey would come from a, a standard hive, I guess? Well, a decent hive, I meant the more, the honestly, uh, the more uh, established a hive, if let's say, as, what I mean by established hive is like it's not a brand new hive; it's just put in. Let's say the hive is right. in its year two, year three of its cycle. It will produce way more honey because if they're set up, they're, they have a system going. So I remember with the more veteran hives, we we got two, six cases or eight cases of, of honey. So we made I think two hundred jars of honey from from those three three hives, and then I think okay rest we made a hundred and some odd jars as well they weren't efficient and uh, they had to get themselves set up but unfortunately most of them did not survive one out of six from from that april section only survived so so yeah you mentioned that so i mean as we're recording this it's spring here in alberta so finally do they kind of go dormant then is that what they you kind of do well, with them in the winter how does that how does that work so when it comes to um bees in winter what they do is they don't hibernate 
at all. Uh, a lot of people think they do hibernate, but they do not. Uh, so you have the queen and then you have the worker bees and the worker bees are all female and you have drones who are male. Um, the interesting fact is actually during the late fall season, the female worker bees will kick all the male drones out because they have no function in the hive. They'll, all they do is just take up resources, but they won't contribute to the, to, to, uh, the operations of the hive in, in winter. So what happens is uh, the, the, the worker bees will surround the queen bee and they'll vibrate to keep her warm because obviously they need to keep her alive um, because obviously the, the, the life and health of the hive depends on her. So they'll keep vibrating, vibrating, and then what happens, they'll trade places. And then if they get nice warm weather, they'll do a cleansing flight. So they, go, they don't defecate inside the hive, they defecate <clears throat> outside the hive. And so basically, okay. that's what they do is they vibrate around the queen to keep her warm. Hmm. Okay, that's that's really interesting. Fascinating yeah. stuff. I, I said the life of a, of a bee is, is uh, quite short for most of them, but... Yeah. Uh, right they yeah. don't really last that long right when they're out uh... yeah in the in the in the summer they last probably a month at best because over the wear and tear they fly miles and miles and miles but in the winter time they do last a little longer because they're, the wear and tear on their body is a lot less because all, they stay in the hive but they last probably mm, uh, three to six months the queen bee will live um, up to five years so, so yeah. how much how much honey would one bee produce in their four weeks or six weeks or however long uh, it lasts? I, would, I don't know, but I was told a single queen bee, uh, sorry, a single worker bee will produce like a, a fraction of a teaspoon. Right. Wow. In its lifetime. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Important work though, right? Uh, it goes to show that the, the whole community is pulling together. You can make a whole lot of honey, right? So yeah, that's true. Great. So you, you mentioned that you had some losses over the winter time. So was there a reason that uh, that you identified as why you had more losses this season, maybe versus other seasons? I haven't heard from Barry or anyone else, but someone's people, some people are telling me, oh, it's Aurora mites or it's too cold. But I know I had this one guy, he, uh, he wintered his hives indoors, but he lost uh, seven out of his eight hives. So oh, I was wow. kind of shocked. I thought like, wouldn't it be better actually if you uh, kept it inside, like because you're warm, you don't have to worry about my degree weather, this and that. But guess I was wrong. It's like I was actually That's pretty expensive, right, Andy? When you lose a hive, you said that was was it five hundred dollars? Is that what you said it was? I got um, each hive if you buy because I bought a bee package. If you buy a bee package, it's they come in a either in a tube or in a box. Mm -hmm. So. Um, if you buy them, they're like 250 bucks more or less. <clears throat> but um, but if you buy a Nook, it's $500 because you're okay. buying um, the comb, the honey, this and that. And also uh, what happens is um, they're more established within that Nook. But when you're buying a bee package, they have nothing to call their own other than their little tube, right? So they're, they're stuck. Right. So. Right. It but the bottom line is when you lose that much, that's a, that's a pretty big financial blow to someone that's uh, trying to produce a little bit of honey, right? It is a blow. I mean, there's a lot of people that lose. I mean, they're bee hobbyists. So I'm a bee hobbyist myself. And what happens is they, um, they'll they try one or two hives and then they all got, they're all gone. So 
and it's it blows because they lost um 500 to 1000 dollars but the thing is that replacing these is expensive it's 250 dollars but the thing is like it's not complete loss because when you you people don't think about the housing because when you buy the brood box or hides it's still there you, know, you just have to put bees to inhabit it so let's mm -hmm. uh, for me if i were to sell one beehive i'd say it's 500 to 550 dollars would be a, like a fair price for one mm -hmm. but if you lose your bees i mean you still have the infrastructure but you always lose right. your more you just need to replace the bodies kind of thing right, bodies, right. Yep. well that's uh yeah that's fascinating yeah i just i think bees are a, a real fascinating uh yeah topic and and it's uh yeah really interesting one last question on that though i, I always wanted to, to ask someone like you is there something specific about uh an area of canada we live in canada i know we have listeners from all over the world but is it is it um better to be kind of out in the i don't know like out in, a, in the rural the countryside or is it uh there's something about Alberta that might be better than, say, uh, the Maritimes or BC or vice versa. Is there I sort of a, a hub of honey making, I guess, in Canada? Or well, no? The thing is, that actually, when it comes to honey making, the Prairie Provinces is by far the the, uh, the most productive. I think it's just because right. of the the agricultural land that's available to to Albertans, Saskatchewans, uh, Saskatchewanians, and Manitobans. Yeah. Um, I think that's my reason, but I'm no expert. I'm still a hobbyist, so. Oh, it makes sense. I mean, that's, uh, you know, you think of our, our crops that we have too, right? You think of something like even uh, canola. Yeah. Right, that flowers out, uh, you know, and it's, uh, uh, that's huge in Alberta and Saskatchewan. So uh, just a small example. I'm sure there's other reasons as well, but uh, no, that's great. So with uh, with beekeeping and, uh, and being in the military, uh a lot of lessons that uh, that we can learn from from these uh, noble actions for sure, and, and virtues that you've learned. Right, you've already talked about discipline, but is there anything that beekeeping has kind of particularly taught you on the the side of virtue that you'd like to share with others? Oh, a lot. So basically, beekeeping has taught me about business, um, investment, uh, shrewd decision making. You have to make sure the bees are uh, put in the proper spot. Um, and like also. Um, health as well because you don't get stung by a lot of bees so <laughs> yeah. um Make sure you're protecting yourself before you uh, go uh, i remember i was trying my early years i was trying to move some beehives but they got mad and they got they were mad <laughs> so learn my lesson but i i have a partner and he helps me out so oh well, that's yeah. great outstanding um when it comes to your walk of faith, you do some some really interesting things. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I think this is this is great, and uh, I think it's important for other for for Catholics and other people of goodwill to see that uh, you know there's people that walk among us that have regular jobs and regular interests and uh, and uh, but are cultivating a life of virtue. So, is there a particular uh, you know a saint or a prayer that particularly uh, inspires you? You've already mentioned Saint Michael the Archangel. Uh, and maybe maybe that's where we start. Just uh, what what particularly drew you to to Saint Michael the Archangel? Uh, because of my military, um, how should I say, my military background and my my high sort of and my military ethos I've learned um, all these years. Because Saint Michael to me is he's he's an awesome guy, like you know God's right hand man when it comes to that. Yeah, uh, you know I. I consider myself a warrior. So anyways, because um, 
what he what St. Michael sort of um, displays how he he acts is is good um, because obviously him being the patron saint of soldiers, sailors, and police officers and grocers um, for me fits my uh, personality well because obviously not Saint Anne, not Saint uh, Teresa, Lisieux, or something like that. So. Um, that's why I chose St. Michael, because when it comes to the military ethos and me being uh, steeped in military tradition with all my years in the military, St. Michael by far is one that speaks to me and how to serve the Lord. What a powerful intercessor. No no doubt about that. Do you know who the patron saint of, saint of beekeeping is by any chance? No, I don't know. I'll, do you know what? We can just look that up. But the I thing- was looking actually just, just right now. It looks like St. Ambrose is one of the saints. And I'm oh, sure there's a story behind it. Uh, it looks like there is one that I'll have to maybe share here on the podcast a little bit later. But uh, it does look like it, it seems in the Catholic Church we've got a patron saint for everybody, right? So everything. Yeah, <laughs> so this is no different. <laughs> um, actually, Saint Valentine, according to Google, is actually also a patron saint for beekeepers. Got it. Saint yeah, I just uh, seen Ambrose, the patron saint of Milan, where he was a bishop. He's also a patron saint of beekeepers and candle makers. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. So that I'm sure there's uh well, I mean, bees have been around so long. I'm sure a lot of our saints have had uh, many interactions with them. And uh, oh, yeah, we will always survive as a species without bees because exactly they... they're so important, right? Yeah, 100%. But well, one thing, great. one thing about Saint Michael, though, you know, obviously he serves the Lord with strength and honor, and I try to do the same. So back to the faith and uh, and serving at uh, the basilica. Um, you know, it's uh, the Catholic Church has been through ups and downs throughout history. Yes, yeah, uh, certainly in Canada, we've had a few more ups and downs here yeah. lately. But uh, what what keeps you going back to to serving not only the the citizens of Canada with your experience in the military, but also servicing the ser- serving the people of God in the church? What what keeps you coming back for that? I don't know. It's just more or less back to Saint Michael, since he ser- serves the Lord faithfully. Well, uh, question: I'm trying to do the same thing, like. I'm trying to serve the Lord with strength and honor, even though yes, the church is done um, is as sinners. We're we're a community of sinners, but we are trying to sort of redeem ourselves through Christ. So, mm-hmm. um, so that's why I'm trying to do is I yeah it is it is it was difficult during the last summer when you're hearing all these like uh, stories of of abuse in the residential schools and then mm-hmm. these grave sites. It was just gut wrenching, uh, mm-hmm. but. I still serve the Lord, and the church isn't perfect, but no, Jesus is. That's why I think of it. Well, amen to that for sure. And then I think you, you said it right there. We have uh, we're a church of sinners, and uh, but uh, the blessing is that we also have a lot of saints that have come through our ranks as well to give us uh, to point us in the right direction on this long and narrow road to eternal life. So uh, we can take a lot of hope and a lot of solace in that. So. And I really appreciate your time. I've uh, learned a lot about beekeeping, which is uh, fascinating to me. And again, thank you for your service to the military as well. And uh, how can people get a hold of you if they'd like to reach out to you with uh, maybe pr- potentially even buying some honey from you eventually or just where they can follow you on social media? On social media, uh, on Facebook, it's Andy's Awesome Apiaries. And same with Instagram as well. Uh, so just just type in those two words or those words or letters whatever you want to call them and then you'll probably find me but uh right now i think i have more exposure on facebook so far but i'm still i just created a new instagram uh, account for my um honey 
Well, that sounds great. No, we'll definitely put that in the show notes as well and uh, deflect some traffic out your way for anybody that's interested, particularly if they're in the Edmonton area. So that's great. Well, Andy, thanks again for your time. It's great catching up with you. Hopefully we can do this in person someday too. And uh, God bless you in in what you're uh, doing in your ministries and uh, we'll be in touch. We will be in touch. Big thanks again to Andy Chan for joining us on this episode of the Catholic Connect podcast. And doubling back to that story about St. Ambrose, there is an interesting legend about St. Ambrose when he was a child, just an infant. There was a swarm of bees that uh, I guess hovered around his face. And when the bees dispersed, they left uh, Ambrose as an infant, untouched, unharmed. There was a drop of honey left on his face. And his dad took that as a providential sign that there was going to be something very special about his son uh, having a a sweet tongue or a honeyed tongue. And and that uh, proved to be very true and prophetic because he became one of the great debaters and uh, influencers of the Catholic Church at the time. Uh, Many conversions from the preaching of St. Ambrose and, of course, the most famous of them uh, would be the conversion, uh, a big influence in the conversion of St. Augustine. And uh, yeah, what a great uh, example of uh, faith and an interesting story with St. Ambrose and his connection to bees. And he is the patron saint of beekeepers. And also there's some stories about saints being associated with bees and beekeeping through monasteries. So similar to uh, producing beer and wine, A lot of monasteries, in order to support themselves, they would have their own bees and sell honey to the village in order to support themselves. So real cool connections with bees, beekeeping, honey, and the Catholic Church. So really grateful again to Andy for joining us on this episode. Well, thanks for listening to the podcast, everyone. Uh, Thanks for all your prayers and support. Love hearing from you. Love staying in touch with you. What a great universal church we belong to. Uh, I can't stress that enough. It's been such a great ride. Uh, this journey to heaven, it can have uh, some bumps and some uh, rocky roads along the way, but we know we're on the road to eternity. So stay close to Jesus Christ, my friends. Stay close to the cross. And uh, regardless of the distractions out in this world, we know we can cling to Jesus, our King. So follow us on Facebook, on Twitter. Drop us a review uh, wherever you listen to your fine podcast, Spotify, Apple. We're on several different platforms. And if you're not a Catholic and no one's ever invited you to join the Catholic Church, I'm inviting you right now. You might be a person of goodwill and you're already a friend of ours and uh, an ally of the church. You know what? Why don't we take that next step to living a true sacramental life with a capital S? And if you need any help in that journey, I'd be happy to help you. And I know thousands of other Catholics around this world that would be more than happy to help you on that journey. And for you Catholics out there, you know what we've got to do to be a beacon of light in this world. We've got to live a sacramental life. That means going to confession often, at least three times every year, every Advent, every Lent, and anytime you're in a state of mortal sin, don't even spend a second of your life there. Thanks for listening to the podcast, everyone. God bless. We'll chat with you very soon.